Welcome to the Hirschfeld Century Podcast. I'm David Leopold, the Creative Director of the Al Hirschfeld Foundation. I'm Catherine Eastman, the Archives Manager. And today we are going. We have a very special episode, uh, an interview with a legendary Disney animator and director, Eric Goldberg. Yes, Eric is famous, most well-known for his work on The Genie in Aladdin, as well as uh, the segment Rhapsody in Blue for Fantasia 2000. He also did Carnival of Animals in Fantasia 2000. He is one of the few remaining hand-drawn animators at Disney, and just as an all-around wonderful guy, uh, he and his wife Susan were kind enough to host us in their home uh, to talk about uh, his work with Al Hirschfeld. Yes. He not only used Hirschfeld as an influence, but he actually collaborated with Al on uh, Rhapsody in Blue. So uh, we're going to let this interview roll. Before we uh, get going, we want to remind everybody that our theme music is by the wonderful Dick Hyman. You can find out about more uh, about Dick and his music at dickhyman.com. You can find the Al Hirschfeld Foundation on Facebook, and we're on Twitter and Instagram at Al Hirschfeld. You can find our website at alhirschfeldfoundation.org. And if you like what you're hearing today, do us a favor uh, massage Catherine's ego, write a review, leave a five-star review. It really makes her day. Everyone's happier here when Catherine's happy. That's right. So please review the podcast. It helps other people find us. So without further ado, here is our interview with Eric Goldberg. We hope you enjoy it. We're talking with uh, Eric Goldberg uh, today um, about uh, his work and his work with Al Hirschfeld. Thank you, Eric, for uh, agreeing to come on today. My pleasure. Like, you have to prompt me to talk about Al Hirschfeld. <laughs> <laughs> well, when did you, can you remember the first time you saw uh, Hirschfeld's work? I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I was always aware of Hirschfeld's work. Because it was ubiquitous. It, it was so common in the 60s and, and 70s. And, um, you know, so I would see a Hirschfeld TV guide cover. Or I would see, you know, a Hirschfeld drawing in the New York Times Arts and Leisure section. Or, right. you know, he was basically famous. And you can't escape that distinctive line, you know. Right. You knew immediately it was a Hirschfeld. And anybody who's tried to imitate him, <laughs> you know it wasn't a Hirschfeld. <laughs> and Speaking from experience. <laughs> anyway. Well, now, you grew up in Jersey? Yeah, New Jersey. And uh, the turning point for me was actually in high school. Uh the I was art editor of the yearbook for our senior year, and our art advisor, uh, Judy Leopold, turned me on to the little details in Hirschfeld that I didn't know. So, for example, finding the Ninas. Mm. You know, she's the first person who told me about really? that and that there's a number at the signature. So my grandparents used to live in Brooklyn, in New York. Sure. And we would go up from New Jersey, up the New Jersey Turnpike to see them like once a month. And so my mom would be in the front seat doing the New York Times Sunday crossword. And Elliot, my brother, and I would be in the back seat looking for all the Ninas in the Uh, arts and leisure section. Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) Did you know at this time you wanted to be an artist? Yes. I mean, uh, not to sound pretentious, but... When I was a lad, um, I knew I wanted to be an animator by age four. So, wow. uh, so I had a pretty one-track mind. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, a fair amount of parental encouragement as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, started doing flip books when I was age six, and uh, just continued. Finally, got a Super Eight camera with a single frame cable release when I was 13 as a bar mitzvah present mm-hmm. and uh, started making my own films and you know it hasn't changed much since right. then <laughs> <laughs> the equipment's changed yes right, the equipment right. has changed 
Well, now, so, and as your career was developing, you, of course, you were kept on seeing Hirschfeld. Mm-hmm. As you saw, said, it's, it was ubiquitous. Yeah. Um, when did you, I mean, you, you have a real affinity for his work. Um, was there a eureka moment or? A... I don't think there was a eureka moment, but, you know, having gone to Pratt Institute in Brooklyn. Sure. Before I ever got into the um, professional animation business, my fellow students and I, and, you know, so two or three of us would go to the, the galleries and just soak it all in. Sure. Um, and, of course, I had the Hirschfeld books as well. I had World of Hirschfeld, mm-hmm. and I had my favorite one, which was Hirschfeld by Hirschfeld. Oh, sure. Mm-hmm. Which is the black and white, one from his Friday drawings, as you informed me, <laughs> uh, where I just love practically every page in that. Yeah. It, it, the drawings are just so elegant and simple right. and uh, beautiful. So, you know, I already had Hirschfeld in my veins <laughs> sure. before I got into the professional animation business. And one thing that happened when I was working in London. First, I was working for Richard Williams' animation. Sure. And Richard Williams was really my most important animation mentor. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those who don't know, Richard Williams was the guy who directed the animation in Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Mm -hmm. And um, he had burgeoning commercials studios, both in Los Angeles and London. And so... My first professional job in animation was working on a film he was directing in New York called Raggedy Ann and Andy. Um, And, you know, after it was over, he invited me to come to his London studio and work. And that was a great baptism of fire because the first time, you know, I was aware that Dick and the studio itself were style chameleons. They could animate any graphic design, any illustration style, and do it well and successfully. And, you know, so baptism of fire, by that I mean that, you know, when I got there the first day, I get handed a schedule by Jill Purdom. It says, Director Eric Goldberg, schedule three weeks. And she tells me in her lovely, plummy British accent, oh, and if we miss the air date, the studio gets sued. So, <laughs> I was 22. So, <laughs> anyway, no pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Um, but being an illustration major at Pratt served me in good stead working for Richard Williams because we had to change illustrator styles. Mm-hmm. Right every couple of weeks, sure. you know, and it was wonderful training. It was guerrilla filmmaking because you <laughs> kind of had to do everything. Right. You had to lay it out. You had to animate it. You, you had to pick the colors, all that kind of stuff just for 30-second commercials. Right. Wow. And uh, one of my roommates there was a guy named Russell Hall who um, went on to animate Jessica Rabbit in Roger Rabbit. Okay. And we were sharing a room together. And he is doing a commercial based on the style of Ronald Searle. Mm. We had actual Ronald Searle drawings that we had to lock in the safe every night and Mm. then had to be returned to him when the commercial was over. And Russell, dedicated artist that he was, was sitting there animating with dip pen on cells. Mm. I mean... Wow. Wow. Just to get that ink style right. Sure. And Russell was one of these guys who smoked these roll-your-own unfiltered cigarettes. So he would take a drag every so often and go, (laughs) you know, it probably took Ronald Searle about 30 years to develop this style. And we have to do it in three weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And he wasn't wrong. That was our job description. Um, So, and I had always been interested in maybe animating some Hirschfeld as well as other illustrators. I'm sure. Here and there. Um, 
I befriended a guy on Raggedy Ann and Andy, an old animator. He lived past 100, named Willis Pyle, mm-hmm. who was working in New York, and he was one of the animators on Raggedy Ann and Andy. And I went to see him after that project was over in his apartment in New York. Right. And he's animating away. And what is he animating? He's animating Hirschfeld Jerry Lewis for the Muscular Dystrophy oh, Telethon. No sure. <laughs> wow. And it's like, hey, take a look at this. I'm animating Hirschfeld. Oh. And it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> wow. Um, anyway, um, so Hirschfeld and animation were always on my mind. When I went to London and we opened our own studio called Pizzazz Pictures, right. uh, again, like Richard Williams, you know, we specialized in doing any style under the sun. But the style, generally speaking, during the 80s in London was angular, you know, very right. crisp, very yeah. angular. Right. Um, and so, you know, it looked good, but after a while, I started getting tired of Angular. So by the time I got to Disney's in 1990, mm. um, I thought, how about Curvy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm leaving a huge gap here, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> I, have to, I have to mention my wife, Susan, uh, and we love each other and we work together whenever we can, and... Um, when we got married, uh, we were actually doing this TV project for Richard Williams in the early 80s based on the Ziggy cartoon mm. character. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. um, and when we met in New York, actually, and uh, she was actually living in Selby Kelly's apartment in the Ansonia Hotel, Selby mm. Kelly being the widow of Walt Kelly of Pogo mm. fame. Yeah. Wow. Um, mm. And so... Uh, the first piece of artwork we bought together was the geisha print of Hirschfeld. Oh, you from know. the Kabuki series. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> and uh, we just loved it. And, okay, we didn't have a lot of nickels to rub together, but we really loved it and then thought, yeah, okay, let's make that our first investment. Oh. Did you ever think of calling him up? Well, here's what happened, okay? <laughs> I was always too shy. Mm-hmm. to call him up, all right? Now, I'm filling in a couple of gaps here, all right? just to let you know. So the way I got to Disney's, first of all, is that Susan went to CalArts, right. and she befriended a few people who became famous in the animation industry, Tim Burton, Brad Bird, <laughs> uh, <Whatever>. John Musker. <laughs> Who are those guys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she I was, hope they can get work. Yeah, really. And... and she was particularly good friends with John Musker, and she introduced the two of us. Um, and when I was in my sixth year at Pizzazz in London, uh, I start getting phone calls from Disney asking me to come over. I guess John Musker and Ron Clements were campaigning to get me over on Aladdin. Mm. All right. And that was, was your first film with that Disney? was my first film with Disney's wow. really and you know the thing was I'm you know one third of this commercials company that we have here in London and mm. it's pretty successful you know, how am I going to extract myself from this and the guy who was in talent development at the time a fellow named Charlie Fink called me once a month well you ready to jump shit yet huh Sorry, let me say that again because okay. I didn't say ship. <laughs> okay. I do that all the time. So this guy who was head of talent development at the time, Charlie Fink, kept calling me in London once a month saying, you ready to jump ship yet? I said, I got this company here. So finally he drops the bomb. He says, well, you know, John Musker and Ron Clements are thinking of doing Aladdin and they're thinking maybe of getting Robin Williams to do the genie. (laughs) And and there came a point when I was on commercials that I was running for a bus and my heart was going... (laughs) And I thought, you know what? Maybe I ought to get out of commercials. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> maybe I ought to do this Disney thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went over, and I did not know that I was going to get the genie. And John and Ron handed me their initial script. And one of the things that was marvelous about John and Ron as a directing team is that they could also write in the voice of the actors they wanted to cast in mm. their script. Mm. So they gave me a script, you know, and said, here, take a look at this, and we'll see you next week and see if there's a character you're interested in. Mm. So, of course, I'm reading this initial script on Aladdin, and the genie clearly written for Robin Williams is leaping off the page. (laughs) Right. And so I go in the following week, and uh, I'm thinking, I hope I get the genie, I hope I get the genie, I hope I get the genie. So we're thinking of giving you the genie. And I go, hmm, okay, yeah, great. And so I left their office, and I was so excited that I didn't realize that I'd locked myself out of my rental car, and they had to call security to bring me in. Oh, no. (laughs) Thus my auspicious start at Disney Animation. It would have been helpful to have a genie then. Yeah, well, really. So... Yeah, the guy that showed up from security, it's a good thing he was honest. He had more devices to pick a lock than I have ever seen in my life. (laughs) Anyhow, um, so what happened was, as I'm the first animator on Aladdin, the rest of the crew's finishing on Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm looking at the production design paintings done by our production designer, a guy named Richard Vanderwend who went on to design Mist after he left Disney. Mm. And basically, he was doing these very beautifully rendered and lit, curvy Arabian settings. Mm. And I just thought, well, what kind of characters fit in a curvy environment? Curvy characters. Ergo, Al Hirschfeld. Mm. Really? Therefore, um, I set about starting to design Hirschfeldian genies. Um, And I did a couple of pieces of test animation with said Hirschfeldian genies. And they, John and Ron had to convince the higher-ups that this was a style that was going to work, even though it was very, very graphic compared to your normal Disney product. Right. so that's why I did the tests. I also did the tests to help sell Robin Williams on doing it in the first place. Mm. What happened was John and Ron said, hey, take a couple of lines out of one of his comedy albums and animate a genie to them. Oh, that's and true. I did. And the one, you know, and eventually I had a few tests built up. And before I know it, in walks Jeffrey Katzenberg with Robin Williams on his arm, and I'm going a hamana hamana hamana, and I'm showing him my pencil tests. And I have to say, one of the great joys of my life was being able to make Robin Williams laugh with my animation. Sure. So the one that he yeah. saw was one where he's saying, uh, Tonight, I'd like to talk to you about the very serious subject of schizophrenia. No, he doesn't. Shut up. Let him talk. (laughs) That comes into Latin. Yeah, well, I animated a test where the genie grew another head to argue with himself. Yeah, yeah. And Robin absolutely saw the potential the character could have with Mm. his voice. And, Mm -hmm. And that's not the only factor, but I think it was a large enough factor to help him sign the dotted line. And so then what happened was John and Ron liked what I was doing and they thought, well, everybody should, every character in this film should have a Hirschfeldian Mm. bent to them, Mm -hmm. you know. So for the first time, and this was kind of organized by Glenn Keane, who was animating Aladdin, one of the great Disney animators, where we co-designed our cast together in a room uh which was great because we'd all put our drawings up on a wall and we would draw over each other's stuff and we would make this unified cast if if the genie and iago were the wackier end of the (laughs) of the universe we were creating and aladdin and jasmine were the straighter end right Mm. and everything else can come in between you know, Aladdin and Jasmine still had those Hirschfeldian sure. curves 
sure. in sure. them, you know. And so for the first time, at least in our generation, the studio designed a cast that all worked with each other, hmm. you know, in the wow. same film and worked with the backgrounds. I mean, the studio hadn't really done that since 101 Dalmatians, you know. <laughs> right. So, wow. you know, 30 years later, <laughs> wow. oh, yeah, maybe that was a good idea. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, wow. um, and so, you know, and of course, this whole time, you know, I'm thinking, I, I hope he doesn't find out. I hope he doesn't find out. Well, we, we went to New York to roll out the film as, as kind of work in progress to the press about six months before it opened. And that's when I cold called mm. Al. He was in the telephone book, which sure. <laughs> completely flummoxed me. And I call him up and I go, hi, you don't know me. My name's Eric Goldberg. I'm with Disney Animation, and we're doing this film called Aladdin. We would love for you to come down to our presentation and and acknowledge you and what a great influence you have been on this film. And he goes, well, you know, I got these deadlines, and, uh, you know, I got to do this ad for uh, Absolute Vodka and another New York Times drawing, so uh, another time maybe click. And... <laughs> And he didn't, you know, accolades he didn't need. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, the guy's in his 80s. When do the deadlines stop? <laughs> so he never came down, okay? And we did the presentation. It went very well. And um, towards more towards the end of production, we had a benefit screening for the Museum of Modern Art. Right. Uh, and it was held at the Ziegfeld. And uh, so I'm standing there with Susan, and my brother Elliot drove up from New Jersey, and we're waiting to go in, and the then president of Disney Feature Animation, Peter Schneider, walks by and cavalierly says, oh, by the way, you're Alan Dolly Hirschfeld's minders tonight. <laughs> 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 up pulls the limo, out they come, and I'm gushing sweat. <laughs> and, and anyway, so I'm sitting right next to Al while he's watching this thing. And first of all, I have to say, the screening was wonderful. Uh it was the first time I'd ever seen my work in front of a live, large audience. Mm. Wow. You know, doing commercials up until that point, most you get to see is, hey, right. I saw your job on TV last night. Look right. nice. <laughs> you know, but should be saying that in a British accent. But anyway, <laughs> um, the, uh, so this was the first time I'd ever experienced mm. that kind of reaction to my work. And when the genie came up, that house roared. And I was very overwhelmed by it. I was told later that, you know, when the genie does his Robert De Niro taxi driver bit, <laughs> Ro Martin Scorsese was in the audience. So there you go. Right. Anyway, <laughs> so I'm sitting there the whole time going, I hope he likes it. I hope he likes it. I hope he doesn't sue me. I hope he likes it. <laughs> right. Because I hadn't asked his permission. Had you had any talk before the lights went down to say, you know, your work was a big influence on Yeah, we did, we did have a little chat like, mm. right. like that. Um, and then when the lights came up, I asked him if he could see his influence. Mm. Right. And he said, absolutely, uh, mm. certainly on the Jedi and <laughs> the, carpet, <laughs> the carpet. And um, he, said, he gave me and, you know, by inclusion, the entire crew, the best compliment that I thought he could have given, which is, when it was all over, he said, it all looks like it was drawn by one hand. Wow. Mm. And yeah. we all know of his famous New Yorker essay about Snow White and the Seven Dwarves sure. called Art or Taxidermy. Right. Where basically he was castigating the picture for having cardboard humans and lovely, believable, cartoony dwarves and sure. the right. two not marrying yeah. together. Right. right. So the fact that he could say... 
having seen that movie Mm -hmm. with 500 of us working on it, it all looks like it was drawn by one hand. That's... That will stick with me the rest of my life. (laughs) It really will. Well, I think the genie for him was exactly what animation was great to do. Mm. It was not constrained by reality. Mm -hmm. It didn't pretend to be real. It, it It took advantage of what the line could do. Yeah, absolutely. We found when we were designing the genie, the more we stripped off of him, the better he got. Mm. Right. He used to have a turban, he used to have mm. a vest, he used mm-hmm. to have this, he used to, and it's like, mm. once he became kind of a moving wisp of smoke, that was when he was at his most successful because he could then be anything. Right. right. It's not constrained by, in, by a vest or Absolutely. a Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, it, um, it really worked out very, very well for us and, and you know, we became friends with Alan Dolly. They came out the following summer uh, to visit Disney right. on the train, as they do. And I remember <laughs> that. Okay. And Susan and I got to take them around Disneyland. Um, mm. Dolly lost her hat in, in Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, no. <laughs> Sadly. Oh. But, but they had a very, very good time. And at that time, you're talking 93. Yeah. Um, we broached the subject of wanting to do Rhapsody in Blue Mm, in Al's style. And at the time, we thought that we would probably need about 50 character designs, and we wanted to know if he was interested in doing it. And um, he, you know, he was cagey. (laughs) He didn't give us a yes or a no. We had lovely times with the two of them. And then subsequently, he sent me a letter, a very gracious letter, saying no. He basically said, you know, if I was younger and I wasn't stuck to my barber chair, I would come out and design 50 characters for you. But I think, no, can't, can't really do it. I mean, he's 90 years old at the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted that to be clear. Yeah, yeah. You know, it wasn't yeah. like, this was a guy who was like, I don't want to get up from the couch. Yeah, well, it ain't <laughs> like he was slowing down. <laughs> no, I, I no. Al Hirschfeld at 90 years old was everybody else at 30 or something. Right. Yeah, really. So, anyway, on subsequent visits to New York, uh, we kept bringing up Rhapsody, and finally we wore him down so that he said, okay, if it ever gets greenlit, I will give you permission to adapt any of my existing work. Now, was that his idea or your idea? That was his idea. Mm. That was his idea, and what a great idea it was. Yeah, no, without a doubt. You know. And uh, and also the ultimate uh, testament to how highly he thought of your work yeah. Because he wouldn't say that to just anybody. He knew well, it was in good hands. One thing that was very charming and, and heartwarming is they took him, when he came out for that visit, you know, they took Alan Dolly to the Animation Research Library and mm-hmm. showed them lots of, you know, drawings from the great illustrious Disney past sure. and they pulled out some genie drawings mm-hmm. as well to show him and so when he came back from that I said I hope you saw your influence in there and he said yeah but I saw a lot of you too mm-hmm. which was really nice you know uh, oh he he loved the black and white ads that appear in the paper mm-hmm. uh, that had the genie in the hands mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He saw himself, and he he saw that your work, and he it, it amused him. You know that was that. You know, if Al said something was insane, you know it was like that was high praise. <laughs> and, and he just he thought it was crazy that it, this was going on, and it was so it just was so right, really. You know, I mean, I was so glad that he liked it. I was so absolutely tickled. You know, and I like to think that at least for a certain generation that may have helped introduce 
them to Al Hirschfeld's work, too. Well, I think Catherine is uh, an example of that, or more Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. Uh, I mean, certainly I grew up during the Disney Renaissance, but mm-hmm. just, did it start with Aladdin, or was it? It started with, with Mermaid. With Mermaid, that's right. 1989, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, Pocahontas is my favorite Disney film, which <laughs> Eric directed. Um, I was very much a Pocahontas girl. But yeah, so Aladdin, you know, I think for a lot of children, that was, I was too young at that point. Um, but Rhapsody in Blue was a really big part of my childhood. My brother and I loved Fantasia 2000, and that was our favorite piece. That was the piece we watched over and over. We didn't care about the flying whales. We didn't care about any of the other stuff. We loved, loved Rhapsody in Blue. You know, there's the introduction with Quincy Jones talking mm-hmm. about Hirschfeld, and, you know, there's the Gershwin portrait and Al's um, photo. Um, but it didn't really stick with me until I, you know, I started working for the foundation, and I was in storage one day, and I saw this beautifully bound, you know, Fantasia 2000 book. And then there was like a little enamel pin of you know what I know now is solid sender I said oh that's so funny I lo- you know I love Rhapsody in Blue from Fantasia 2000 and then it kind of clicked in my head oh wow this thing I've loved that was such a you know such an important kind of touchstone of my childhood with my brother is now this thing that I see you know I get to you know experience every day and so Rhapsody in Blue was certainly my entrance um, you know my uh, what, what do we call them Oh, uh, entry point. Entry, entry point. point. Yeah, my entry point to Hirschfeld without me even really knowing it till much later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's well, a great bridge to start Rhapsody cool. in Blue with. <laughs> yeah, um, we had wanted to do Rhapsody in Blue since we had um, proposed it to the studio in and proposed it to Al in 1993. Right. Mm. And the studio kept saying no, no, no. And we kept sending emails saying, hey, if you want us to do this down on the Florida studio, we'll do it in the Florida studio. And, you know, we're trying to find ways to make it work. And we weren't... And what did you... Did you see it as a short at that point? Right, yeah. Here's the funny thing, okay? (laughs) It was originally conceived to be in Fantasia 2000. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And both Roy Disney and... um, and Don Ernst, our producer, thought Gershwin was too modern a composer to include in it. Interesting. And yeah, and they saying. kept saying no, but you know they know it was my my um, uh, kind of labor of love. Actually, mm-hmm. Susan's and my labor of love, and we <laughs> stuck with it for about seven years. Wow. Finally. And we, we had the whole thing storyboarded. Right. Susan had done her art direction pieces. Uh, and it was kind of filmed. And you did this all sort of on spec. You, yes. Because you wanted to do it. That's mm-hmm. right. right. That's right. Wow. I mean, there are times at a studio when you have downtime. So we did it in our downtime. Right. You know, uh, after we were done with Carnival of the Animals, which mm-hmm. was our other mm-hmm. piece in Fantasia 2000. Right. So anyway... Long story short, um, there was a movie being made called Kingdom of the Sun, and that went down in flames. And they had no, nothing for that animation crew to do. Mm-hmm. Eventually, it morphed into The Emperor's New Groove. Oh, another one okay. of my favorites. So, <laughs> anyway, uh, during that time, there was nothing for the crew to do. Right. So the executives got to us and said, okay, you can make Rhapsody in Blue with this crew. Mm. And we went, thank you. <laughs> and, you know, it, it was just wonderful. And it's kind of amazing. You know, most of the crew had just come off of Tarzan, which if you re- remember the film has a lot of very detailed anatomical drawing in right. it. Yeah. You know, not just yep. humans, but animals as right. well. Yeah. And, you know, and I thought, oh God, I hope these guys can adapt to Hirschfeld. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took to it like ducks to water. Mm-hmm. They, it was so natural for them to animate Hirschfeldian designs. Mm. And earlier... You know, when we were adopting Hirschfeldian designs for Aladdin, uh, I 
did a talk at the studio say, you may not know this, but you've already done it. And I ran Mary Blair designed Once Upon a Winter Time from Melody Time. And mm. it's got these great Hirschfeldian yeah. curves oh. in the characters. Uh, and I showed them Freddie Moore drawings from The Little Whirlwind. Also, you know, mm. great lines leading all the way down the back of his head, down his back, around his foot. All this kind of stuff. Sure. And they kind of got it, mm. you know. And so when time came to do Rhapsody, I was stunned that they knew so well, mm. you know. Right how to hook into this stuff and draw it and animate it well. Mm. You know, that's pretty amazing. So I have two questions that I do okay. want to ask. Um, why Rhapsody in Blue? Rhapsody in Blue was probably my favorite classical piece. Mm. Okay? I just loved it. And I would spend a lot of time just thinking of visuals that would go to that music. Yeah. I had a lot of the visuals before we had the story. Yeah. You know, mm. that mm. sounds like cars screeching to a halt. That yeah. sounds like a pile driver, mm. you know. Which was mm -hmm. exactly what was intended. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it's... Um, and so when time came to board it, you know, we created a multi-character story, you know, that had... Um, all of these things fit into it. Well, if something sounds like pile driver, we need a construction worker, <laughs> right. Right. A construction worker as yeah. a hero. So, right. and um, you know, likewise for all the other characters. And so, so, how did you choose those characters? Well, how uh, and specifically, how did you choose the Hirschfeld Hirsch, drawing? That's what. Yeah, the, how did you choose which Hirschfeld drawings to animate? Okay, to, to go for those characters. All yeah. right. Well. One thing that we had as a very limited edition was Harlem is Seen by Hirschfeld. Of course. The book of lithographs, yeah. and it's so beautiful. And, I, and that was really one of my huge inspirations mm. for it, mm. uh, where, you know, particularly Solid Sender, right. you know, became our main character, became, yeah. you know, mm. whom we named Duke after Duke Ellington. Uh, Did not know that. Uh-huh. And um, and actually, originally we had done a kind of Walcott character, um, yeah. but the studio was afraid of um, image. They were afraid that that Walcott would have any family that would right. object. Yeah. yeah. So and he did. <laughs> so we turned it into. So we turned it into. John Culhane, the author. <laughs> and bless his heart, he was such a huge supporter of ours. And every time he wrote us a letter, he would sign it, Flying John. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. and what about the, um, you know, I think of it as sort of the Teddy Hart or Lorenz yeah. Hart mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, character. How did you choose him? I love the look of him. Mm. I love the look of him, and I love that bag around his eye, <laughs> right. you know, that, that yeah. Hirschfeld drew. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that was really marvelous is we got to do the DVD commentary mm. with Al, you know, before it got released on home video. Sure. And certain things they edited out. I don't know why, but they did. But one the of them... That, yeah, well, <laughs> one of them that they did edit out which floored me is the first scene with with jobless joe comes mm -hmm. up and al just goes oh that's teddy hart he probably hasn't thought of teddy hart right. in 70 years right. Right. <laughs> yeah. but, well and did you go through books yeah all yeah. his books uh, I, to see yeah. it? absolutely okay we went through books we pulled xeroxes mm -hmm. uh you know and a lot of times what we would do is adapt certain characters to become other characters mm -hmm. so for example the waitress in the diner where joe is having his cup of coffee right yep. her face is actually a hairstylist shoving somebody else's head under the sink oh, <laughs> that yeah, Hirschfeld right. had drawn sure i think um, in do me or something yes yeah, that's yeah, right um and um uh 
and the nanny who takes Rachel from, yep. you know, enrichment class to enrichment class. Well, if mm-hmm. you look at her face, well, that's Edna Ferber, right. you know, right. <laughs> from right. the Algonquin right. Roundtable yeah. drawing. Well, and and the so, and the little girl is. Was that based on a particular drawing? Or? Actually, it was not. Mm-hmm. I, that's what I always thought. We can I could replace it. Place yeah. it. Yeah. You know. I mean, I looked at Al's drawing of Nina when right. she was young. Sure. Okay, and that's kind of where I got the dot eyes. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I saw that. You know. <laughs> um, but she was a little bit different. You oh, know, she had down. curly hair. Also, Susan designed all the period costumes, mm. you know. So I would, you know, uh, get these things from her, and I'd go ahead and Hirschfeldize them on mm. the model sheets. But really, it was her. Her initial pass that put it all in period, wow. which was great. Right. Interesting. Um, and so she came up with this outfit for Rachel. Now Rachel is named after our daughter, um, and you know it's interesting the way it kind of came about because I had been drawing this character in the boards, and one of our uh, crew on uh, Carnival of the Animals. Uh, Jill Petrolak looked at it and went, oh, that really looks like Rachel kind of girl. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, my God, it is Rachel. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. That's and sweet. so we started calling her Rachel. So you shared that with Al sort of organically. There you go. Your yeah. daughter showed up in your work. Yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The one piece that sticks out to me of, how, you know, kind of what, how did you choose is there's a Mitzi Mayfair poster. Oh, yeah. And where did you, like, <laughs> like in, you must have really gone In the studio, mm-hmm. there's a poster on the wall. I think it's on the subway. I think it's in the subway station. It's uh, Mitzi Mayfair. It's the girl, and she kind of is doing this mm-hmm. with her skirt, you know, in a big way. And you know what? That had nothing to do with me. Oh, because really? Because the layout artists were all doing yeah, Hirschfeld yeah. as okay. well. Oh, yeah. no, so, well, somebody looked very hard and oh, found yeah, a very was, obscure yeah. drawing. And, so they went yeah. ahead and, and used, wow. you know, the same way that Hirschfeld yeah. would draw stuff in their layouts Interesting. you well, know that's very we we approve <laughs> yeah the other thing that happened on that of course is that we wanted to pay homage to hirschfeld mm. so we actually worked nina's into the animation if you look at wow. duke's toothpaste tube the crinkles on the end say nina oh, if, no. if you look at close-ups of margaret's fur collar yeah. nina oh, uh, no. and wow. and so we worked that into the animation however mm. the layout department got into it in full swing <laughs> they decided to put the names of everybody working on the film oh, within gosh, the background that's funny. <laughs> and the main culprit was a friend of ours named doug walker <laughs> he had done like the lion's share of the layout <laughs> And he put his name Doug everywhere. <laughs> and so... That's funny. So here's what happens. While we're making it, we're making it for a standard 35 millimeter, you know, run. Right. And we're told, hey, we're going to release this in IMAX. Mm. So all of a sudden we're adjusting things for IMAX. Wow. So the first time I saw the film on an IMAX screen, I'm like... Oh my God! It's a telephone book. I'm yeah. seeing all these names, and oh, you know, sweet. so two things had to happen: the fact that they put all these names in there. The first is they had to go and get everybody in the studio who's who was named to sign a disclaimer. Mm. You know oh, that, that no we were allowed to use their name. Oh, Second, Richard Corliss, who was then the critic film critic for Time Magazine when the film was released calls up the studio to ask the burning question who's Doug? <laughs> oh, that's cute. So, and <clears throat> in our world it would be how many Dougs? Yes, yeah. that's right. <laughs> um, but it truly was a labor of love. I mean, Susan and I had wanted to do it for seven years until right. we got the chance. Yeah. And in fact, it started as a standalone short. Mm. Here, you know, what yeah. happened was, you know, they already said Fantasia wasn't going to have it, but the studio knew that we wanted to make it, so they offered 
okay, let's make it as a standalone short. It's the only piece in Fantasia 2000 that is not conducted by James Levine. It's conducted mm. by Bruce Broughton. Mm. Mm. Um, and he did a great job getting the orchestra together and yeah. all that kind of stuff. He got Ralph Grierson to play the piano. He got, I believe, the grandson, maybe the great-grandson, of the guy who played the initial clarinet lick on wow. the Paul Whiteman version no, of Rhapsody in wow. Blue. And, uh, and so that felt nice and authentic. Mm. Um, and so we have a screening of Fantasia 2000, not even called Fantasia 2000 yet, mm. um, where it was kind of 50% old pieces and 50% new pieces. And the two just didn't marry. Mm. It mm. didn't work. The old pieces looked older, right? And mm. the new pieces looked newer, but there were so many differences between the two of them mm. that eventually we decided, okay, the only one we really can keep is Sorcerer's Apprentice, mm. right. which is the one we kept. But in that screening, the lights go up, and everybody is aware that it doesn't work. And Roy mm. Disney was there, and he turns around and goes. So, Eric, is Rhapsody in Blue going to be ready in time for Fantasia 2000? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I said, actually, Roy, yes, it is. It's on a parallel track. Right. Yeah. And so, finally, it got included in wow. the film. That's great. Oh, boy. Prodigal Son Returns. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. Well, and what was Al's reaction to you um, when, the, when well, he saw the film? Well, first of all, being able to work with him directly Right. Was and, a joy. And so what did that entail? Okay. We would take trips to New York. Like we took a research trip. We took our head of cleanup, Emily Giuliano, right. who we called the keeper of the Hirschfeld line. Um, and, uh, you know, we photographed her ice skating in Rockefeller Center. We took photographs of buildings and we went to see Al. And we showed him... Uh, Susan's art direction pieces and we showed him uh, the model sheets that I had done. First he saw the art direction and he went, this artwork is first rate. Yeah, okay? I can hear it. <laughs> and then with, uh, with the model sheets it was a very weird legal situation but it worked. If he actually drew something that I took away with me then they would charge us Disney oodles of dollars because we took away an original Hirschfeld. Mm. So what he did is looked at my model sheets and advised us on a separate sheet of paper what we should do to make things more Hirschfeldian. Uh, I remember particularly the ballet dancer and him putting crosshair uh, five o'clock shadow on one of the construction word, uh, right. workers. And um, anyway, um, and then I would have to make a copy of that and take that back to Burbank with us. So I would draw alongside Hirschfeld's drawing wow. to get the note and then take that back mm. with us. And this was up in the studio? Yeah, this was up, you know, right by his barber chair. Mm. Right. You know, yeah. and, uh, you know, uh, there are things that make me sigh one of them is they decided to send uh, a video crew over from the disney office in new uh -huh. york and so they're coming over and they look at al and they go so we don't know you very well what have you done Oh, oh no. my God! <laughs> Will you please? Right. <laughs> I'm not here. I don't, want to think of, I don't not work with, with these me. people. Yeah. Oh, you know. No. And subsequently, we showed him the story reel. Right. And when that was completed, uh, we showed him uh, some pencil tests and um, the uh, the great thing both times you know, was he would sit there and now he had been married to Louise by right. then. And, sure. um, and uh, Louise, he's out there with his yellow legal pad and a pen watching the story reel. And Louise goes, so any notes, Al? And he goes, nope, no notes. It's no. perfect. Uh, uh, that's you great. You don't get that. No, <laughs> you know? Right. And, and, 
you know, he, we went up to show him about three-fourths of it in color, just on, you know, running it on TV. And right. the rest was pencil test. And how old would he have been in uh, 1999? 96 years old. 96 years old, okay. So, anyway, we show it to him. Both he and Louise are very moved. And she pulls us aside, me and Don Ernst, and she says... He's going to be 96 next week. This is the best birthday present he ever could have gotten. Without a doubt. And I, you know, I'm getting faklemt recalling these incidents. Sure. I really am. As you should. Because, (laughs) look, he respected uh, art and artists the most. And uh, he, I know just from other experiences, he saw you as a peer I mean, you might have looked up to him, but he right. saw you as a peer. Well, that's very nice of him in right. hindsight. But I mean, but you can tell. I mean, I, I can tell by the way he talked about it mm-hmm. and eventually with the drawing he did of you, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, that was a drawing of, of a friend yeah. And, yeah. and someone who he, re, he respected and yeah. admired. Because it's a wonderful drawing. It's yes. a beautiful yeah. drawing. So I'll just interject here. Yeah. Yes, Susan commissioned him to do my mm. portrait for my 40th birthday. Wow. Mm. So I flew to New York. Oh. I slept in Nina's room, (laughs) (laughs) and it was between Dolly and and Louise, you know, so he was on his own other than, you know, uh, the housekeeper who cooked his meals. We had soup. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the next day after I stayed overnight, he does the drawing, and he's, um, he's just got like a little scratch pad that he's drawing on and we're conversing. Sure. And he's drawing and drawing and drawing. After about 10 minutes, he goes, okay, you're done. (laughs) And I went, can I see it? He goes, no. (laughs) (laughs) And then about two months later, the final ink arrives Mm. on our doorstep. And it's one of the most thrilling experiences I I have ever had. And in fact, if you look closely in Rhapsody in Blue when all the people are streaming out of the hotel yep. oh yeah all of those are caricatures of somebody or other mm. okay we caricatured our producer Don, Her- Don Ernst <laughs> we caricatured um, Patty Hicks who was our other producer we caricatured Alan Dolly we mm. caricatured yeah, sure Brooks Atkinson oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've definitely seen Brooks going out oh, yeah. of that yeah and and Susan and I are caricatured Aww. in there as well. And I used Al's version of me oh, wow. <laughs> to scream out of the yeah. door in Rhapsody. Oh, we're, we're the kind of people who look at that the revolving door scene and it's like, oh, that one. Yep, I know yep, that one. I know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, a lot of the stuff that's in the film is stuff that I designed after a fashion Right. Mm-hmm. Based on right. knowing right. what I knew of sure. Al. Right. He's not going to know how to draw Patty Hicks. Right. So, right. No, right. of course. Right. Yeah. But that's exactly what he would have, it seems to me, that you, you, didn't keep, you didn't keep it where it was. You took it to the next place. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And that's what right. he, that's, I think that's what he liked. Yeah. You know? Well, that's great. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't have, I can't uh, say I have some special insight. But just knowing him and, and knowing how he looked at work like that, uh, you know, it, it excited him. He was so special to us. And, and what a thrill to be able to get to work with one of your heroes. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, towards, towards the end, oh, I, shouldn't, I should tell you the climax. The climax yeah. oh, is Fantasia 2000 premieres at Carnegie Hall. Right, uh, you know, wow. with James Levine conducting live, and wow. we're sitting next to Alan Dolly, Alan Louise, and it's like, oh my God, you've come wow. a long way from yeah. that first you know, time. Yeah. How many time? How how yeah. many people can say we got to play Carnegie Hall? Right, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, the piece went over beautifully, and you know, it it's. I hope it is a lasting testament mm. to his work and all that he meant to us as well. And 
when I say us, it's not just Susan and me. It's everybody at Disney. Right. Mm-hmm. Everybody who loves his work continues to love his work. One of the nicest things is, you know, on one of our sojourns to see him after Rhapsody, we, um, we brought some books for him to sign. And he signed one to Eric and Susan, the Svengali's of my art. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! Isn't that great? Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, you know, he just had such a way. <laughs> he sure did. Um, did he ever talk to you uh, about the, uh, you know, the fit, you know, for those who don't know, Disney had these nine old men, mm-hmm. who, you know, the 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 really the original animators of Disney. And of course, he knew a number of those guys, particularly Art Babbitt, mm-hmm. who had married uh, Marge Belcher, who mm-hmm. everyone knows as Marge Champion. Yes, because he right. she would later go on to uh, marry Gower. Whom Champion. I met in Al's apartment, by the way. Oh, yeah. oh okay, funny. that time I was staying there to sure. have my portrait done. <laughs> well, they were great friends. Yeah, I mean, he had known her since she was a teenager, really. Mm. Yeah, and. And we compared our Art Babbitt notes. Uh, you know, Art's last wife was Barbara Perry. Sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, she was an actress on Broadway. and um, Drawn by Hirschfeld. Drawn by Hirschfeld, <laughs> yes, which she is very proud of. Sure. And uh, so I, I talk about Art Babbitt for the first time with, with Marge Champion. And she said, oh, yes, I remember when Barbara was going to marry Art. I told her, good luck. <laughs> That's cute. Um, did Al have any stories of art? He didn't. Oh, you know, he really didn't. He he tended not to talk too much about animator right. people, at least to me. Right. You know, and uh, that was the past, and he didn't mm-hmm. really talk about the past. You know, I mean, I do remember the story that he told about going out to do an article about the Disney Studios in the early 40s. Oh, sure. Okay, Mm -hmm. do you know this story? I I would like to hear what you know of this story. (laughs) Okay, what I know of this story is he goes out there and he's met by a bunch of the artists and they're working on Three Caballeros, Saludos Amigos, and they're looking at Jose Carioca, uh, the parrot character Mm. who appears in both. And one guy is saying, well, I figured out his dance moves. Another guy said, well, I gave him his cigar and his umbrella. Another guy said, well, I put that rakish tilt on his hat. And, and after a while, Al goes, well, what did Walt do? And they kind of were nonplussed. <laughs> right. And he got back on the train and headed home. He didn't have a story. <laughs> well, he'd come out there to interview yeah, yeah. Walt. He was going to do a profile uh-huh. on him. And uh, he told me that they did actually go to the studio mm-hmm. and pull out a drawing that Walt had done of Mickey. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Al said it looked like a rat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, it was, I think he was sort of disappointed. He really had this mm. idea that Walt was this artist, entrepreneur, mm. you know, visionary. And it turns out he was. Two out of three, in fact. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think visionary is probably the best way to, to, yeah. s- to describe Walt yeah. Disney. Yeah. And even if he did not have the technical facility um, to be a great draftsperson, right. he knew how to surround himself with the best talent that he could find around the world. Definitely. And, and it's his vision that got up on the screen. Right. Absolutely. So saying he can't draw Mickey Mouse is like small potatoes, really. Of, of course, <laughs> you know? right. of course. Right. But I think Al was looking at it through a through a certain lens, mm-hmm. and it didn't meet up to that. Yeah. And I, and I also wonder about the timing mm-hmm. of the trip. Would have been after the Disney strike. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much sort of lingering resentment there might have been amongst the animators against Walt that may have infected. You know, there may have been, and of course we know Art Babbitt led that strike in Mm. 1941. And you know, I knew Art very well, Mm -hmm. and he really did it for altruistic reasons. He didn't need to have a strike because he he had butlers. He was rich. 
you know, but his assistant, Bill Hertz, was sleeping under his desk. He did it for all the other people, right. you know, in the studio who were not earning enough to make a living. Uh, and so, you know, knowing that about him, I think it, he's always been tarred with this kind of, oh, he's a cantankerous old so-and-so right. brush, but actually... I think he was a very human guy with a crusty exterior. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a shame there was a rift between Art and Walt. Walt. Yeah. You know, without a doubt. And in his later years, Art Babbitt admitted to us, you know, he didn't feel like he did anything that was worth anything after he left Disney's. Right. Mm. He he had regrets at the end. Mm. Right. Um, I disagree with him because he did sterling work for UPA after right. he left Disney's. He animated some stuff designed and directed by John Hubley. He directed and animated a few films himself. Mm -hmm. uh, and he did some amazing stuff with very, very graphic designs right. at UPA. A very, UPA was a very different style. Yeah. I mean, they went more for modern art than right. representational. And yet, a really class animator like Art Babbitt could still turn that stuff around three-dimensionally and make it work and not lose the graphics. Mm -hmm. And I don't say that about too many animators. Art mm -hmm. was one of them. Another one was Mark Davis. Right. If you look at Mark Davis, uh, who was a superb draftsperson, if you look at his animation on Princess Aurora, Waltzing in the Forest, in Sleeping Beauty, um, her hair is highely designed mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. curlicues and long lines and they right. end in a little swirl. Mm -hmm. And he animates that hair and it has weight and it has form and he never breaks the graphic design. Right. And mm -hmm. that's something very few people can do, right. you know. So I would count Art Babbitt amongst them and uh, Mark Davis, absolutely. So. And and uh, uh, to bring it back to Al, mm -hmm. he would have understood Art's point of view uh, on the union mm -hmm. aspect. Al was never a member of any union. Right. Uh, lived in the life of an independent his entire career. Mm -hmm. Yet he supported union activities whenever possible, mm -hmm. even when it was detrimental to him. Right. Uh, in 1939, there was a strike at the Brooklyn Eagle newspaper. Mm -hmm. And uh, Al, of course, supported the union. And they asked him to draw a uh, to draw the publisher, uh, do a caricature of the publisher, and, and Al drew him as a turkey. Yeah. Which the union blew up and put on the side of a truck. <laughs> and they parked it out in front of the building. <laughs> and uh, uh, finally comes down to negotiations. And they're negotiating their new agreement. And the publisher, they agree to everything. The publisher says, one other condition. Uh, we'll do all this, but we agree that I don't have to hire Hirschfeld ever again. <laughs> and the union said, yes, that's fine. Which Al always thought, wait a second, well, I just I, did this. Yeah, yeah, really. I did this for the <laughs> they union. They threw him under the bus or under right. the, the under truck. The truck. Under the truck with the turkey on it. Uh, fortunately for Al, he had plenty of other work. Yeah. Uh, but he he cared about the he cared about his fellow man. Hmm. And, and so is that how his uh, time at the Eagle came to an end? That's how it came it to is, an end. Really, yeah. it, it, you know, it ends abruptly. Yeah. Um, and I think that maybe, uh, and I see that in a lot of really wonderful artists is they have a, the humanity. Yeah. You can't do it without that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm telling you that, and I know uh, to a great deal that that represents you. You know, you have a, the, the humanity in your work mm -hmm. is really... I think I'm anti-human. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I am, but yeah. it may not be human. Well, you're not misanthropic. Uh, you? No. Okay. <laughs> well, misanthropic. <laughs> um... And I guess what would, if you had a final thought on Al Hirschfeld, mm -hmm. uh, what, do you, what would you want other people to know about Al Hirschfeld? Yeah. When I used to look at Al's arts and leisure section drawings of the latest play opening on Broadway, he was so observant and the drawings were so beautiful that I felt that I'd seen the play. 
Right. The fact that he could capture so much in a single drawing. And, you know, I flip through, you know, the lively arts books and things like that. And I look at plays that I've never seen and never will see. But those drawings make me feel like I was there. I mean, and it's pretty impressive, especially considering the amount of stylization Al puts into his drawings. Sure. And yet, it's so real, so believable, so well-observed. And I think for anybody to understand Al and his work, it was that wonderful observation and his own wit that he brought to the line that made it so unique. It's indelible. I think there are people who know who Hirschfeld is but don't know his name. Right. But they know they know that style. Mm. Precisely. And, and yeah. that style chronicled twentieth century entertainment. Sure. You know, that's a pretty big accomplishment. <laughs> right. Without a doubt. More than sure. any other artist, I yeah. think he yeah. he sort of defined twentieth century popular culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well that's great. Well Eric, thank you so much for spending time with yes. us. My pleasure. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and uh, we hope uh, we'll come back again on, uh, you know, to talk about whatever latest project you have. Okay, That's that right. sounds cool. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you.